the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Good day, and welcome once again to Selwyn's Law. My name is Selwyn Whitehead, and I'm a California Bar Admitted Attorney. I'm also a Bankruptcy Law Certified Specialist, who's been certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. So as I've told you before, in addition to my JD, I hold a couple of master's degrees in law. One is a master of the laws of taxation law, and the other is a master of the laws of intellectual property laws. And both of these master's degrees in law were obtained from my favorite alma mater, Golden Gate University School of Law, which, as you know, is located in the beautiful downtown San Francisco. And because of my training, my experience, my interests, I primarily practice bankruptcy law, debt wealth management, estates and trusts, real estate and taxation law, and sometimes I litigate inside each of these cases. So I'm proud to say that as part of my practice, I am sometimes able to seek out and attempt to vindicate the rights of seniors who find themselves the victims of the various forms of financial elder abuse that's running rampant in our country today as more and more of us fall off the side of the earth into senior land, as I like to call it. And for some reason, some people think that just because we're seniors, we don't need to hold on to our assets, and they try to, you know, welcome themselves to our assets. And so I don't think that's a very good thing. And and when I'm able to at least attempt to vindicate the rights of seniors, that just makes my day, as Clint Eastwood would say. I am, as always, so pleased to be able to come to you again today from the beautiful KFAX studios in the beautiful San Francisco Bay Area to discuss some of the financial and legal issues confronting individuals, families, and small business owners. However, as always, I must once again ask you to please note that this show does not provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum for the exchange of information that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that is tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances and hopefully provide you with an outline of some of the key issues that may help you seek out and find qualified professional help. Because, as I'm known for saying, representing yourself in a legal matter especially one concerning your finances and your your family's overall financial health, to me, representing yourself is like taking a butter knife to a gunfight. 
you are going to be on the losing edge unless you're very, very lucky. And again, when you're dealing with your finances and those of your family or your small business that you're trying to keep afloat, you don't want to take that risk. So again, you know, taking a butter knife to a gunfight um, means unless you're very, very lucky and you can sneak up on your opponent who is going to be well-versed in the law because if your opponent is a business of some kind and uh, you're dealing in, in federal courts, you cannot, um, they cannot represent themselves. They have to represent themselves with lawyers. And so you will be there. Uh, and like I said, unless you can sneak up on your opponent and scratch her on the arm and maybe poke her in the eye, more than likely your case is going to be dead and arrival. That is to say your valid claim and your righteous and or your righteous defenses will likely see the promised land way before you do. So once again, I must share with you the purpose of Selwyn's Law here on KFAX, in case you haven't guessed, is to discuss your money and unfortunately, more than likely, the lack thereof and your finances and what you may need to consider to protect your family or your small business's financial health, wealth, and money-related well-being as I understand these concepts in this non-threatening educational forum. So today we're going to continue our discussion of Bankruptcy 101. Again, so we can level set, bankruptcy is a federal legal procedure that can be used by individuals, families. And by families, I mean the spouses or partners that have been recognized in some states such as California. That is to say, I'm not saying that just because mom and dad file for bankruptcy that the kids are in bankruptcy too. But normally, if mom and dad are in bankruptcy, they're doing it to make sure that they can continue to provide for the children. But the children are not at fault. The children are in no way um, you know, uh, connected personally with the bankruptcy other than to say, as part of the process, um, uh, if you're going to be doing a reorganization and your family, you, um, the court makes allowance for the reasonable living and educational expenses of the children that are part of the family. And again, mom and dad or or however the family, uh, the, the partners are configured, if there's children involved, they're not part of the bankruptcy uh, process, but their rights and their interests are looked out for. So in addition to individuals and families, uh, bankruptcy is also available to large and small businesses and to state governmental units or subdivisions. And so by subdivision of a state would be a county or a city. And um, these entities that find themselves in bankruptcy because they're insolvent, that is to say, one or more def- uh, one or more of, of their creditors uh, is asking for money and they're not able to pay it as it comes due according to the contract that they have. Uh, as such, bankruptcy, uh, the procedure... If filed for legitimate reasons, tends to slow down the debt collection process, and it may allow a qualified debtor to be released from some or all of her debts. However, bankruptcy can also be used by individuals, families, and large and small businesses, as well as governmental units that may be solvent on paper, but they lack sufficient liquidity to pay their debts as they come due. That's another definition of being... um, a distressed business um, and and uh, able to at least file for a bankruptcy. 
And, and in the case of solvent debtors, that is to say they're solvent on paper but lack liquidity, they can seek time in the bankruptcy process that will allow him, her, it, or them to gain the necessary liquidity to deal with their debts, sometimes all of it, sometimes part of it. Now, regardless of what caused the financial distress or insolvency, as the case may be, the laws concerning bankruptcy provide a remedy that's spelled out in Article One, Section 8 of the United States Constitution, which cedes to the United States Congress, that is to say the legislative branch of our federal government, the power, among other listed powers, to establish uniform laws on the subject of bankruptcy throughout the United States. And these uniform laws on the subject of bankruptcies are currently manifest in the United States Bankruptcy Code, the Federal Rules of Bankruptcy Procedures, and the appropriate federal and state statute and federal and state case law dealing with the relationship of and among the rights and duties of debtors and creditors. So today we're going to continue our focus on the other key player in bankruptcy other than the debtor who is also protected by the United States Constitution, and that is to say the debtor's creditors. Again, creditors of various classes are the entity to whom entities to whom the debtor in bankruptcy owes money or some form of equity or something of value, and who as a result of the debtor defaulting on her debt obligations, that is to say her promise to pay her creditor or creditors, the creditor or creditors rightfully want to get paid, notwithstanding the bankruptcy. Now, there are public policy-based reasons and a hierarchy uh, of a pecking order in bankruptcy that dictates the priority in which creditors by class get paid or repaid. And this pecking order is Congress's proxy for how creditors will get repaid, if at all, in a particular bankruptcy case. Now, in first position, as I shared with you last week, are the debtor's secured creditors, such as entities holding notes or deeds of trust or some form of lien or a uniform commercial code filing or a statutory lien or a levy, such as a mortgage or deed of trust or pink slip on the debtor's car or unpaid portion of some executory contract backed up by a security interest, such as what you would see in a commercial lease. Now, unless there is some special reason about these secured debts that will allow the debtor to modify or strip off part or all of the debt or avoid some or all of the value of the applicable liens or security interests, these secured debts must be paid in full even if the bankruptcy case is resolved, because these liens or security interests survive or pass through the bankruptcy. However, if these secured debts are delinquent at the time of filing the bankruptcy, the debtor can use the bankruptcy protection to catch up on that default if she wants to keep the property. And uh, she can catch up on her missed payments while under the protection of the bankruptcy court and thereby cure the deficiency, the delinquency when she comes out of bankruptcy. Now, another class of creditors 
uh, are the general unsecured creditors, that is to say family, friends or relatives or credit card companies from whom the debtor has borrowed money and the repayment obligation is manifest by either an oral or written contract that was undertaken without the creation or the filing of any kind of security interest. Now, depending on the type of bankruptcy the debtor files, coupled with the debtor's overall financial situation and prospects at the time of filing, including her ability to fund her reasonable living expenses out of her post-petition income, some or all of her unsecured debt may end up discharged. Now, when we come back, we're going to dig a little bit deeper into the creditor's rights in bankruptcy, but right now, let's take a short break. See you on the other side. Now back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. Welcome back to Selwyn's Law as we continue our topic uh, of Bankruptcy 101 by really focusing in on creditors' rights in bankruptcy. So uh, before we uh, took our break, I was explaining to you about the classes of creditors there are. There are secured creditors and um, absent some legal rationale, they either get paid in full or they get the return of their collateral. If your house is the collateral or if your car is the collateral and you don't uh, pay them in during the bankruptcy, they can get their property back. And Or you might decide that you don't want that house anymore or you don't want that car anymore. Uh, you can surrender it as part of your bankruptcy uh, process, and that is a way of satisfying that secured uh, creditor's debt. Now, the other kind of, of debt, other than secured creditors, other kinds of creditors, let me correct that, are unsecured creditors who may take nothing depending on the debtor's available exemptions that we've talked about here on the show before or the availability of funds left over for a reorganizing debtor uh, after she and her family account for their reasonable living expenses for the debtor and her family members. And there's also a special class of unsecured creditors. There's classes of unsecured creditors that, for public policy reasons, take priority over what I described as plain or vanilla unsecured creditors. These priority creditors include persons to whom the debtor owes domestic support obligations uh, or unseasoned or new tax obligations owed to the federal, state, or local taxing authority. Now, what's unique about uh, taxing authority debt obligations is the fact that these entities sometimes simultaneously are secured and priority and general unsecured creditors for the same set of tax obligations, not the same tax, but the set of, of, of tax obligations, such as, for example, the IRS has obtained a statutory lien for a portion of the taxes owned, while at the same time the newer taxes, that is to say with taxes that became due and payable within three years of filing the bankruptcy case, those are paid as priority taxes, and sometimes the same set of taxes can also be unsecured debt uh, where the taxing authority has not levied 
uh, a, uh, a lean on older taxes. And so I, I see that a lot in my cases. We have to divvy up what part we have to pay because it's secured, what part we have to pay because it's priority, and what part we might not have to pay anything on because it's an unsecured debt. And again, the debts are paid by class. So um, secured creditors get their security interest satisfied. Priority taxes must be paid over the course of the bankruptcy. And sometimes within five years of actually filing the bankruptcy, and then unsecured creditor uh, a tax uh, class, including uh, unsecured taxes, they're paid as a class, and so they get paid on a pro rata basis. That's why sometimes you hear the, the term pennies on the dollar, 10 cents on the dollar, 50 cents on the dollar. That's what the unsecured creditor class obtains. Now, for the rest of the show, I want to dig a bit deeper into the constitutional authority that protects creditors' rights when a debtor files for bankruptcy. And as I started this discussion last week, I'm using the same source material. That is to say, my one of my favorite law treatises, the Bloomberg Law Bankruptcy Treatise, and it has a section that deals with special issues, including the constitutional issues in bankruptcy. Now, for creditors, uh, they look at the same constitutional rights of, that is to say, what makes it applicable for a debtor to be in bankruptcy. And as I've shared with you before, that's the Constitution grants Congress the authority to make uniform laws on the subject of bankruptcy throughout the United States, and that for debtors and for creditors. This power, like any other great substantive power of Congress, is subject to the Fifth Amendment. The taking clause of the Fifth Amendment prohibits the taking of private property without just compensation. So it's different than eminent domain, but it's kind of sort of the same as eminent domain. That's where the feds take private land to put a shopping center up. The owner of that private land might not want to give up that land because it might have been in his or her family for generations and they have crops there and they have they raise animals there. But if the government needs it, they can um, take it over, but they have to find, find um, pay just compensation. So in the context of bankruptcy, that's where debtors and creditors are fighting it out amongst themselves. In a sense, um, there is a taking if it's decided for example, that an unsecured creditor should take less than what he or she or it is actually owned. So let me just read from the um, the case again. Lewis Joint Stock Land Bank versus Redford. The Fifth Amendment commands that however great the nation's need, and there is a great need for bankruptcy, as I've discussed on shows here before, it's the safety valve that gives individuals uh, uh, um, a feeling of a little bit security that they can start a family and incur debt to raise that family or start a business and incur debt to to start that business and employ people and pay taxes. So the Fifth Amendment commands that however great the nation's need, private property shall not be thus taken even for a wholly public use without just compensation. If the public interest requires and permits the taking of property of, for example, 
an individual mortgagee, that is the person or entity that gives the mortgage to the borrower in order to relieve the mortgagor because he or she has necessities to take care of his or her families, resort must be had to proceedings by eminent domain so that through taxation, the burden of the relief afforded the public interest may be borne by the public as taxpayers. Okay. That's kind of a a unique way of looking at it, but that's the way it is. Okay. And so the due process clause of the fifth amendment also serves to protect secured creditors in bankruptcy. Uh, Property rights do not gain any absolute inviolability in the bankruptcy court because created and protected by state laws. Most property rights are so created and protected. But if Congress is acting within its bankruptcy power, it may authorize the bankruptcy court to affect these property rights, provided the limitation of the due process clause are observed. Bankruptcy jurisprudence focuses on the takings clause, However, it also is involved with the due process clause. And we began talking about the due process clause. And so what what is the due process clause of the 14th Amendment? Okay. Section 1 of the 14th Amendment of the Constitution, otherwise known as the due process clause, provides that, among other things, no state shall deprive any person of their life, their liberty, or property without due process of law. So in life, that's where, you know, criminal law, liberty, that's also criminal law unless you get arrested for some civil matter because you didn't, judges just a bench warden locks you behind up for a while. But we're mostly talking about property rights without due process of law. The Supreme Court has stated that at a minimum, The words of the Due Process Clause require that deprivation of life, liberty, or property adjudication be preceded by notice and an opportunity for a hearing as appropriate for the nature of the case. Okay, and that's a case called Mullane versus Central Hanover Bank and Trust Company, a 1950 case. Uh, The court there found that notice must be reasonably calculated under all circumstances to apprise interested parties of the pendency of an action and afford them an opportunity to present their objections. And if notice must be of such a nature as reasonably to convey the required information and to afford a reasonable time for those interested to make their appearance in court. If the due uh, regard for the practicalities and peculiarities of the case may, that may be, these conditions are reasonably met and they meet the constitutional requirements of the 14th Amendment. If they do these, provide notice and an opportunity to be heard, then they, have, they are said to have met the uh, requirements of the due process clause. So now let's just circle back to why this is important in bankruptcy. I mean, I, I mostly represent debtors in bankruptcy, people that are trying to keep it together. I mostly represent families that are trying to keep their homes or cars or, or, and small business owners that are trying to figure out a way to keep their business going. I sometimes represent creditors. 
You know, creditors have rights. You cannot ignore your creditors if you're going to file for bankruptcy. You need to make sure that they receive notice. Uh, For some reason, some uh, debtors don't believe that their creditor has a right to be heard. They have a right to know what's going on, to come into the case and make their objections to the court. The court listens to both sides and makes a reasoned decision. Maybe the creditor doesn't get anything. Maybe the creditor gets everything, but they at least have the right to be part of the process. So I'm going to leave that there for now. But as in closing, I like to say here at Selwyn's Law and KFAX, we always want to stay on the right side of the law, including the laws of bankruptcy and their dual roles of balancing the dueling roles of debtors and creditors in bankruptcy. Until next time, take care. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to selwynwhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the law office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content. 